0: Happy new year i 'm really uh, delighted to be here this morning last week, I was uh, laying on the couch and it wasn 't fun this morning i 'm going to pick up a conversation that we started this is just a one off today we 're going to have one uh, single conversation about race and we started this back in November. I did a, a Sunday on this and um, we'll we 'll pick it up again today and uh, you know, I hope I don't get myself in, tr- myself in trouble today. So uh, let me kick us off in prayer so that uh, I won't. Father, I pray that you would protect our conversation, protect our hearts as we listen. And Lord, you have called us to unity, and you've created the space for that to happen, for real unity, the kind of thing that makes our hearts sing, the kind, the place where we we were designed to live, and you created that space for us in in, in our friendships and in our families. And, and Lord, we pray that you will help us as a body, as Gateway Community Church, you'll help us take some steps in that direction. And we pray even that today and then these upcoming conversations will be an assist in that, will we'll move us in that direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, back in November, I announced that we were going to have a short series of uh, small group conversations that would get us talking about our experience with race. Uh, This is in part in response to what's going on culturally around us in America. It's also in response to the changing face of Gateway over the last uh, three years. This exercise is going to be a short three-week small group experience, just three weeks Uh, beginning the week of January 23rd, so a couple of weeks from now. And in these groups, we will tell our stories to one another. And I'm going to give you a really brief preview of some of what that's going to look like before we end today. But for those of us who are particularly busy or particularly skeptical about such an exercise, let me just offer two high-level benefits for you to start with. Number one, you're going to get to know a group of people pretty well. and And that's always a benefit. And number two, I think you'll experience a real and a helpful and welcome break from the clatter and noise that dominates our our country right now about any social issue, including the issue of race. So let's sign up for one of these groups. If you miss everything else today, don't miss that. Go to mygateway.life and sign up for one of these conversations, three-week conversations beginning the week starting January 23rd, and they're, they're offered on, on several nights, so find the night that's convenient for you. Now, at this point, so far, not many of us have signed up, so uh, today, aside from the practical benefits, I'm going to offer an important biblical reason for signing up for this. I'm going to explain the reason, and then I'm going to make a couple of observations about that reason, and then, as I said, we'll end today's talk with a preview of what those conversations are going to look like. Now, for those of you who are joining us this morning, it's really for the the online audience earlier, but for those of you who are joining us this morning from outside Gateway, you know, you're you're in the area for business, you're here for a week. uh, Thank you for joining us and thanks for peeking in. Today's message is primarily for our congregation, but I really hope and pray that you'll be benefited by what we say today as well. Okay, now by way of review, today's uh, observation is really added on to what we said in November, as I said. So when we, when we talked about this topic last November, we said that the, the first critically important reason for having these conversations is that our unity is a gospel issue. Underline that word gospel. When we use that word gospel, we mean the good news about Jesus, the fact that God is building a relationship with us because of what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus' ministry changed everything, and it's the center of everything. So when when we say something is a gospel issue, what we're saying is big stinking deal, and our unity is a gospel issue. Again, continuing with our review from the conversation in, in November, we looked at the third chapter of Galatians, and in this chapter, the Apostle Paul defends the gospel, and and in part he explains the gospel, and he argues for the centrality of the gospel. It's more important, Paul says, than the law. And remember, for ancient Jews, the law was the center of gravity. So stinking big deal, as I said. And then at the end of this defense and explanation of the gospel, Paul offered what was in his mind a, a critically important natural outgrowth of the gospel. And this sort of First point of contact for what this means, that the gospel is true, is this. And it's Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So just listen to this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ. You've clothed yourselves with Christ. We're wearing the same set of, we got It's like we go to school with the same uniform. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, Nor is there male and female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, the father of faithful. God made great promises to Abraham. Well, you're heirs to those promises if you're in Christ. In other words, because of what Jesus Christ has done in us, all of the things that we think define us, all of the things that we think define us, and all of the things that divide us, they're artificial. We're one in Christ. That's what that's what's real. So our unity is a gospel issue. Okay. Today we want to offer a second reason for having these conversations. And let me be clear, I'm trying to convince you, in case this wasn't obvious, to sign up for one of these groups. So we won't do that unless it's important. So, big deal reason number two. We need to talk about race at church, at gateway, because racism is a sin. Now, Maybe that's obvious. I think I'm preaching to the choir here, but let's not leave it unsaid. Racism isn't just unfortunate. It's not just a bad cultural tendency we should avoid. Racism is sin. And let me remind you, sin is the thing that gets us in trouble with God. He's crazy about us except for that sin thing. And so that sin thing is kind of a big deal. Let's get even more specific. Essentially, biblically speaking, racism is the sin of favoritism. Remember that because we're going to make a big deal out of that. Racism is the sin of favoritism, and God forbids favoritism. So, we're going to look at uh, James, the Lord's brother. Chapter 2 of a letter that he sent to a group of Christians that he was nurturing And uh, he makes a deal out of this. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 of James chapter 2. And let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word, if you would. My brothers and sisters, listen to this introduction. Listen to how he couches this conversation. You can't get more epic than this. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring, fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you pay special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, "Uh, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Evil. Listen, my brothers and sisters, hasn't God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him just like you? But you have dishonored the poor. By the way, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones you are who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, pause for dramatic effect, you remember Jesus at one point summarized the entire law and prophets, everything that had been written about God and from him up to that point, and he said you can summarize it all and love God, love your neighbor. Here he, James picks up on this. Look, if you, if you really keep this, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. That's a good deal, but that's what he contrad- that's what he contrasts favoritism with keeping the royal law. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And then he underscores it. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You may be seated. My brothers and sisters as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, that's how James begins this teaching. And How's that for a context? As believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he brings out the big guns to make his point, right? It, it's, it's like he's saying, if you disagree with me, fine, but it means you hate Jesus. Uh, he, he, and then he gets preachy. He paints a scenario that almost definitely would have been something close to what they experienced or something they had done or seen happen in their fellowship. He's trying to step on their toes. Now, of course, James is talking about socioeconomic favoritism, right? Rich and poor. He's addressing their tendency to differentiate between rich people and poor people. So, James, what is the real problem with favoritism? Why such a big deal? I mean, James, you call it evil. I know it's not good, but you're making a lot of noise about this. Why? Look at verse 2 through 5 again. Pull that up, Pete, verses 2 through 5. Remember the, the scenario he paints? Look down at verse 5. Listen, my brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor? as the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom of God. He promised to all of those who love him. Essentially, James is saying spiritually rich and poor are the same before God. In fact, often poor people are richer in faith. If there are advantages to be had, seems like it might go to the poor people. You can't judge this. You can't discriminate. That whole process is evil. And then he gives a practical reason in verses 6 and 7. Look at this. Look, isn't it the rich that are exploiting you? (laughs) Aren't they the ones that are dragging you into court? I mean, why are you showing favoritism to them? And finally, he concludes in verse 9, and then he uses verse 10 to just underscore the seriousness of this. Verse 9, you show favoritism, that's sin. You're a lawbreaker. By the way, you break that, you break the whole thing. Favoritism is sin, and it has the effect of dramatically violating the whole law of God. It makes us guilty, essentially, of everything that God requires of us. Do you see that? By the way, this is not a new teaching This has always been God's posture. This follows Leviticus 19.15, Old Testament, all the way back to Moses. He said this, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. This has always been God's heart. Do not differentiate. Do not favor one over another. Apply the same standards. Use the same scales regardless of who you're measuring. All right, if you get everything else today, don't forget that. Obviously, the primary issue confronting the church that James was addressing was the socioeconomic favoritism, right? Rich versus poor. And that's still an issue today, of course. But that's not the only kind of favoritism. In fact, any time we differentiate and treat one person or one kind of person better than another just because they are that kind of person— We are showing favoritism. Anytime we say, this group is in the club, this group is not in the club, we're we're engaging in evil. We are violating everything that God requires of us. Any prejudicial action, any tipping of the scales is sin. Whether we're judging on the basis of finances or, or gender or social status or races, it's sin. A quick aside here, by the way, Uh, Academics who study this seem to agree that racism related to skin color is a modern phenomenon. For example, Catherine Wilson is a senior lecturer in uh, the Department of Classics at Washington University in St. Louis. And she did some fascinating research around this topic of of, uh, skin tone-based racism and prejudice, favoritism. And I want you to listen to her conclusions. Quote, in truth, it is anachronistic. Anachronism, anachronistic just means something, you know, from the future taken into the past that doesn't belong. So imagine you're watching a movie with a, uh, 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 about, um, uh, this, I don't know, Columbus sailing across uh, to, to discover the new world. And in the corner of the screen of one of the scenes, you see a Coke can. That's anachronistic. Coke wasn't invented. So it is an, in truth, it is anachronistic to think of the ancient Greeks and Romans as white. After all, contemporary racial categorizations, especially the concepts of whiteness and blackness, are fundamentally products of the modern era, she goes on. The question of whether race existed in any form in the pre-modern past, especially in the ancient world, is extremely murky. We know, for example, that the Greeks and Romans would never have thought of themselves as part of an identity group with others solely because they shared a skin color. Nor should we assume that all Greeks and Romans even had the same skin tone, end quote. In other words, didn't exist really in the pre-modern world. Apparently, skin tone-based racism is a modern phenomenon. That's almost certainly why we don't see racism spelled out in a passage like this one. That kind of favoritism just wasn't typical for them. It, it may not have even been known and it certainly wasn't prevalent. Now, prejudice, unequal treatment based on arbitrary factors that are immaterial before God, the evil favoring of one group over another, the tipping of the scales, that's certainly not modern. That's as old as human relationships. It's just that in modern times, we've added this creative new wrinkle. And as with all forms of favoritism, that wrinkle is sin. Okay, have I sufficiently beat that horse dead? Now, there are a couple of important observations related to this that I think we need to talk about this morning. But first, let me say three things about the observations. So I'm going to say three things about the two things that I'm going to say. (laughs) First of all, please don't get lost in the two observations I'm going to make in a minute. Uh, I'm in danger of stirring up trouble here. I know it. But I really do feel like God's Word takes us where I'm about to go. And that's more important than whatever criticism I might get from some of your emails. Uh, Secondly, please know that we will not be discussing the stuff that I'm going to say in a minute in our group times in this January. Uh, In our groups, we're going to be unpacking our own stories And uh, you'll see that in a moment. And I I don't want what I'm about to say, I don't want it to scare you off, nor do I want it to motivate you. Oh boy, we're going to mix it up. It's not what we're going to do in our group time. Final comment, the observations I'm about to make, I think are worth being honest about. Whether you completely agree with what I'm about to say or not, they're worth mentioning because they're very pertinent to the current discussion in America in particular. So... First observation, notice that the result of the favoritism that James rebukes is that the favored person, the wealthy person, the favored person ends up with a position of privilege. You get to sit here. Why don't you go over and sit in the dust somewhere? And this is something we should pay special attention to as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that modern critiques have been partly right to highlight, I believe. Look, most of you are aware of the cultural noise that has surrounded the phrase white privilege. There have been several books about it. If you didn't grow up in the American context and and you don't know exactly what this means, here's a brief illustration. Imagine life is like running a 100-yard dash, and if you're white in America, you get to start that on the 20-yard line. So you're in a privileged position. If you're brown or black, you start at the starting line. Or uh, another analogy, someone told me between the services, it is as if you don't know what kind of race you're running or, or what the rules are, or is it a swim or is it a run, Uh, if you're brown or black. Or I heard someone else say, it's as if one person is lining up with obstacles in front of them and another one has a clear path. Let me make a couple pointed comments here about that idea. On the one hand, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we should acknowledge that the concept of white privilege has limited applicability, I believe. For one thing, it does not mean or it should not mean that if someone is white and successful, they didn't have to work hard for that success. If anyone means that when they use that phrase, I would suggest that's a different kind of sin, no less grave. Also, the phrase may not be universally applicable. Uh, if, If you're at all familiar, for instance, with families who live in Harlan County, Kentucky, that's the poorest county in America, Uh, you know that by a wide majority, they're white. And very few of them have anything like privilege related to their story. But if you look like me, and if you grew up where I grew up, in middle-class America, I honestly believe I should be sensitive to this concern. I believe I'm responding in a less than Christ-like way, if I respond to the idea of white privilege with immediate defensiveness. I believe I've had many privileges, and I'm pretty certain I didn't face some obstacles that I would have faced if everything else about me had been exactly the same except for the color of my skin. I've had privileges. The Christ-like response from me when I hear this critique should be, tell me more. How do you see this? Do you see it in me? Do you see it in my story? Do you see it in how I treat others? I should be sensitive to this claim. Privileging some is a natural byproduct of an environment of favoritism. And we should be asking ourselves, all of us should be asking ourselves, are we doing anything that facilitates privilege based on arbitrary factors that are meaningless to God? Such activity is favoritism. And favoritism, in case you missed this, is sin which is a stinking big deal. There's a second observation that I think we need to make. Remember, the problem we've said is with, with racial favoritism is that it is a sin stinking big deal. For those of us who are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, there is no bigger deal. But that means the problem is not the power dynamics it creates oppressed versus oppressor. Power dynamics and discriminatory privilege are the result of the sin of favoritism. They are not the cause. Sin is the cause. And to address the problem, we must address sin. It's a spiritual problem. What do you mean, Ed? Uh, Why are you making a big deal out of this? Well, in the current critique of racism in America, we are increasingly being told that racism equals prejudice, or let's use the biblical term, favoritism. Favoritism plus power. In other words, then to to be a racist, you have to be in a position of power. That's a a part of what we're being told. I I don't think that's being offered just assumptionally. I think it's being said explicitly. It's all about oppressor versus oppressed. And if that's true, then the oppressed classes can't be guilty of discriminatory behavior that results in favoritism by definition. This, I believe, is potentially a dangerously unbiblical position. Biblically speaking, racism equals favoritism based on race, which is sin. And those of us who believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must be examining ourselves to see where we are showing favoritism. All of us, regardless of our color or gender, This is not a problem, he says awkwardly. This is not a problem only for white men. White men are not the only ones who need to do work. Now, of course, white men are primarily responsible for most of the history that continues to stir our racial problem, and I probably haven't said that strongly enough. White men did violence to black men, black women, black children for generations The interesting thing about that is, I think, one interesting thing about that, I think the American slavery story underscores James's point here. It tells us the real human result of favoritism. If you allow a group of people enough time and space to fully express their favoritism and then give them justification for their evil favoritism, that's what it looks like. That's why James makes a big, big stinking deal about it. That's why God makes a big deal about it. We of all people should know this based on our history. This is no small thing. Favoritism is an evil. It is a horror. If we don't deal with it, it ends up enslaving people. You can't ever keep sin tidy. It always oozes out and gets extremely messy and does violence to everything around it. It's never a small thing. And racism is a horror that we must all safeguard against, not just the so-called empowered, perhaps especially they, but not just the so-called empowered. And the best safeguard against it is living within the spectacular unity created by our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. This is where racism is truly defeated. Because of what Jesus has done, we are all the same. Sons and daughters of God, there is no rich or poor, no male or female, no black or white or brown. If we belong to the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, then we are Abraham's seed. We will inherit everything that God has promised, and that's why we need to talk. So sign up. (laughs) All right, I'm going to invite Dominique and uh, Kevin to come up if they would. And as they're coming, let me give you we've come up with six rules of engagement for these conversations in January. So let me give you real quickly what those six rules of engagement are. Number one, um, your story, not a news story. So we don't want to hear, this is not a a conversation about Donald Trump or George Floyd unless, you know, Donald Trump is part of your story and has influenced you and and you met with him and this happened. This is your story. Uh, another story is their story and this is about one respecting other people's stories we're going to respect one another's stories this is also about don't tell somebody else's story tell your story third commit to an open heart don't come in if you're going to come in super guarded wait till the next rotation four ask permission to share helps and what we mean by that primarily is, oh, Kevin, I heard you know, that comment you made. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you an article that, you know, I, I, don't bother. I've seen it seven times on Facebook already. Ask permission to, to share those kind of help. Hey, Kevin, would you mind if I uh, shared a video with you that I think is pertinent to what you're saying, and we're going to empower one another to say no. no. Okay? <laughs> Five, respect the group leader. There are going to be times when we need to say, wait, wait, time out. Let's, okay, let, thank you. Let's get back to our story. And then six, govern everything with love. Okay, those are the rules of engagement. Here's what we're going to do with that time. So we're going to get together somewhere here in the building or in one another's living rooms for three weeks, and we're going to say, hello, Dominique. Hey, Kevin, really good to have y'all. Dominique... uh, I come from a people who, how would you answer that?
1: And so I'm going to answer it a little differently from the way I did earlier today, but I I come from a people who um, don't really know all the way where we come from. Um, My family, for the most part, my ancestry goes so far back to slavery times that I don't know the ethnicity of origin on my African side. Um, We know bits and pieces because of little family histories. I know that on my um, father's side that uh, the matriarch of our family was Native American. I don't know what particular tribe um, because that Native American child was adopted by an African American family um, and it all just got blended in. I know on my maternal side that um, we have an ancestor that came from Cuba. I assume he was Afro-Cuban. stop,
0: Dominic. (laughs) <laughs> Don't you want to hear the rest of that? And what she said at nine o'clock was just as cool. So uh, if you want to hear the rest of Dominique's story, sign up for a group in January. Um, Kevin, I come from a people who...
2: So I also am going to revise and extend my <laughs> 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 this point. Okay. uh So one of the things that I realize is not a whole lot of people here at Gateway may know that I'm black. I mean I realize I have naturally curly hair and wonderful blue eyes, but most people wouldn't put that with somebody who's black. Uh so um I come from a people who really, really valued education. And both of my parents uh you know kind of drummed it into me, you absolutely need to get educated because if you don't to edu- get educated, they can you know, they can take everything else from you.
0: And the they whole They can Id-
2: take everything else from you. Yeah. And the, the they was the you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin.
0: So I mean, moderately, can I say moderately unusual value system. And uh,
2: so I, I, I think it is. It's it's funny as I've talked with Dominique. I think you had that very much that same kind of thing, where uh, you know there were certain parents, and and I think a lot of successful African Americans had that beat into them, right? That you need to be educated above and beyond all things. I, I think. Some of this comes from, uh, you know, one of my personal heroes is Frederick Douglass, right? And Frederick Douglass was... Okay, stop. So,
0: uh, trust me, there is so much in their stories that you want to hear. And if you want to hear it, come to a group in January. Uh, So somebody after the 9 o'clock service, because I didn't say anything, somebody after the 9 o'clock service said, you know, we need to hear from the old white guy. So uh, I come from a people who... Um, I was a kid in the 60s in the Deep South, so there's never anybody that looked like you right. <laughs> in my home. I mean, um, and really great people, great people that loved God, but they, they uh, you know, they, they um, frankly saw you differently based on the color Stop. of your skin. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I come from a place where, Dominique?
1: So, I, I come from a lot of different places. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, um, I grew up in a military family, so we've lived in different places across the country, um, overseas, um, and on both sides of my family, we come from military families. And so, like, my dad was born in the Philippines, for instance, but grew up in Texas in the 50s and 60s. Um, And so, yeah, because I come from different places and grew up all over, my experience growing up was to know all kinds of people. And that was something that I learned later that my parents were very intentional about, Um, even though we grew up understanding, like I'm very clear that I am black, (laughs) but at the same time that that didn't make me different. And other people who didn't look like me or didn't come from the same experience that I did, it didn't make them people that I couldn't engage with and that I couldn't learn from and be friends with. And so I, um, I come from a place where- Okay, that's good. Um, Kevin,
0: I come from a place where...
2: So I think many of you know um, that I'm from California, and I'm actually originally from Los Angeles, California, so, you know, I do love L.A. <laughs> uh, and actually, uh, grew up in the San Fernando Valley, which is just the other side of the Hollywood Hills. So I come from a place where many, many, many people are posers. And what I mean by posers is that they they not only pose with respect to who they are, but they pose with respect to what they are doing in their life and how well they're doing and what they're doing and, you know, things are more important about how things look than how things actually are. And I know that that was really important for me because as I was growing up, I would try and tell people, well, I would try and give off images of me being different than what I was. Okay.
0: time. Uh, interestingly, Kevin, you were the first one. There's a, there's, I think, is Netflix, Diane, that we were looking at. But we saw there's a there's a movie on some one of the streaming services. A, it might be called Pose, but it's about it's about someone who poses, uh, who's black. It's who, not
2: about I don't pose anymore.
0: No, I know, I know. But you were the first person I ever heard that phrase from. That, that that's a thing in the African American community. That that uh, of. Bosing, yeah. passing. passing. that's passing. what it is, yes. Passing, yeah. Passing, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, what, that's the movie, yeah. Anyway, um, I bring with me, Dominique.
1: Um, so I bring with me lots of things. Um, I bring with me uh, an openness to people, but I also have come to realize I bring with me um, some resentment, some resentment um, about where we are some a little bit of resentment about the way I have to talk to my son about how he engages in this culture. Okay,
0: I, stop. You really
2: need to hear more of this. Uh, Kevin? So I bring with me lots of baggage, and some of the baggage is I'd like to hear about what the old white guy was going to say about he coming from a place <laughs> where. Well, if you want to hear it, sign up for a group in
0: January, Kevin. All right, so uh, it's, it's, it really has been a privilege having you. Uh, we have attempted to tread on territory that's almost awkward, but we've done so to be extremely honest. I have now um, Can I say one more thing, if you'll okay. forgive me? Okay.
2: So I, I think, as Dominique and I have gone through this, um, one of the things that's been most clear is that in order for us to be an authentic Christian community— We have to have authentic relationships. And the only way that we can get authentic relationships is to have authentic conversations. And those authentic conversations are based upon where you're from and where I'm from and who we know and where we've come from. That's why we want to have these conversations so that we can make our community one. And you've raised that, but I just want to raise that as a critical point. That's better than
0: what I was gonna say. So um, let me wrap us up in prayer. Y'all get these stools out of the way. And uh, to, to kind of receive this prayer, Let's uh, let's stand together. Let me pray for us. So, Holy Spirit, this has to be your work. We're not um, we're not smart enough. We're not courageous enough. We're not uh, we don't have the skill to navigate this and do it well. And so we ask that you would um, you would do that you would do this work in us. Um, thanks so much for the privilege of being your people and all that that means. Uh, Lord, take what was said today and use it to multiply it in conversations and um, use it to affect our hearts the right way. And, and whatever that was said was not of you, uh, we pray that you protect us from that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.